Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Fear seeks to destroy everything in its path. But fear can be silenced. Join us now as we begin our journey through Acts chapter 14 with Cheryl Broderson. Part one of Cheryl's message, Holy Boldness. Here we go in the strength of the Lord. Do you ever wish you were more bold? Do you ever just condemn yourself because of your lack of boldness? You see a group of young people and you're like, yes, yes, I want to say something to them. I'll never forget being in Leicester Square in England. And you know, Brian's so sweet. He's part of the band and he's going to preach out loud and I'm going to support the band and I, I just want to I want to witness and the whole way you know because we had to walk over to Leicester Square from our church I'm like yes I'm going to witness I want to witness and I'm standing there and you know I see this guy with a nose ring and you know some other scary things and I'm like Lord just reach him reach him in your name <laughs> you know it's so in my heart but I find those times I want to be so bold for Jesus. I hate it in my own life when fear takes the wheel of the car. And I want to admit to you, I have not completely overcome my fears. Don't you hate it when they show up? And you're like, what? I thought you were gone. I thought you were banished. I thought I drove the golden stake through your heart, fear. And here you are. And you're tormenting me in the same way. And fear screams at us and it threatens us and it whispers all sorts of different scenarios into our mind and heart. You do the will of God. You pray. You step out and this is what's going to happen. You want to go through what Paul and Barnabas went through? You want that? Okay, just try being bold. And we get so afraid. There are those times when fear takes the will of our mind and our heart. And have you noticed that fear drives totally erratically? I mean, fear's like, ha, 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 and it's just ditching everything on the road. Have you noticed that fear does not know where it's going? It's just driving the car. Have you noticed how many innocent bystanders get hit by the car when fear is driving? Or how many wrong turns it makes? Or how it gets everything jumbled and creates chaos and traffic jams? That's what fear will do. Fear makes me feel so vulnerable to all the elements in this world. Vulnerable to rules and regulations and kings and, and people and riots and jail and authority. It keeps me from enjoying and embracing the moments around me. Keeps me from holding on to those I love and encouraging them. 
keeps me from seizing the moment and the opportunities that God sets before me. It keeps me from seeing or feeling God's presence. Though fear never completely disappears, the good news is it can be silenced and that it does not have to drive the car. We can, by the grace of God, revoke fear's license. And the greatest enemy to fear is holy boldness. Not boldness, because boldness can be really stupid and it can be an overcompensation for fear. Have you ever tried to overcompensate from fear and just made a mess out of everything? Okay, then you're better than I am. But there are those times that I have tried to compensate for my fear. So I speak a little louder than I should. I act a little sillier than I should because I'm afraid. In chapter 14 of Acts, we observe the holy boldness of Paul and Barnabas. They've been expelled from Antioch of Pisidia by unbelieving Jews, devout and prominent women and chief men. In other words, it was the notables in the city that expelled them. They were people of influence, people of prominence that drove them from the city. That can be so intimidating when you know that people in in very high places, influential places, want you out of town. They're the ones who drive you out. It's enough to make you want to go home and lick your wounds or say, you know what, enough of this, or the Lord must not be leading, or I must be in the wrong, or I need to protect myself. But that was not the way with Paul and Barnabas. They went into Iconium. They kept going. There was no thought in their mind of going back to Antioch in Syria yet. At the end of chapter 14, we're told that they did not go back until they completed the work that the Lord had given them. And they went right into the Jewish synagogue, the place that in Antioch of Pisidia had caused the most trouble. That's the very place. They went through trying, let's try this synagogue. They're like, no, no, no. Why don't you try the square in town? Someplace different. Maybe that didn't work so well for you the last time. But what do these men do? They go right back into the synagogue. They're not about to let fear dictate to them what they will and won't do. When Satan was tempting Jesus, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, throw yourself off of here so that others can see it and they'll know then that there is divine strength with you. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, I'm not controlling God. He's in control of me. I'm not trying to seize the authority of God. I am leaving that authority with God. These men go back into the very, very place. Fear will not be the authority in their lives. Fear will not be the dictator of what they do or what they don't do. God will be the only dictator in their lives. So as they go into Iconium, we're taught that certain hostile Jews sought to poison the minds against Paul and Barnabas 
And yet, even there, God gave them great success, and multitudes turned to Jesus. And in light of the hostility, we're told that Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time. Again, fear, hostility, threats, none of these things were going to become the dictators or the controllers of Paul and Barnabas. They yielded only to the authority of Jesus Christ. So we're told that Paul and Barnabas were even more determined to stay and establish the new believers in the word of God's grace. There they performed signs and wonders. In other words, they did not lay low. They allowed themselves to be displayed for Jesus. You see, fear would say, you know what? Just lay low. Okay, if you're going to go into the synagogues, just be cool about it. Just give like a a very easy presentation of the gospel, be very politically correct, you know, very, very peace-loving, don't upset anybody, don't bring attention to yourself, or even maybe take a break and, and let people come to you. Don't go out to them. Don't reach out. Let people come to you. That's a natural response, isn't that? To persecution, to hurt, that's the natural response. But what we're seeing in Paul and Barnabas is nothing natural. Everything with these men is supernatural. We're told, again, that a violent attempt came upon Paul and Barnabas. Men rose up and they wanted to stone Paul and Barnabas. This was the attention that was known. You know, sometimes I find that threats are even worse than the actuality. Have you found that? It's the threats. David said in the Psalms, God, deliver me from the fear of my enemies. I love how he says, deliver me from the fear of my enemies. Not deliver me from my enemies, but deliver me from the fear of my enemies. Sometimes the fear of our enemies can be worse than our enemies. It's the fear that keeps you up at night. It's the fear that you know puts all the... Um, cortisone in your, or whatever, cortisol in your system, you know, the stress hormone. It's the fear that makes your heart pump faster. It's, it's the fear that raises your blood pressure. It's the fear. It's not the enemies. It's the fear of the enemies. So now here's threats coming at them and they just move on. They flee to the next town. I love this holy boldness of knowing when to leave and when to stay too. Because you know these are apostles. They fled. They said, you know what? Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here quick. And God showed them the way. And yet here they are. They didn't sail back. They didn't seek protection. Paul didn't let his Roman citizenship be known like, hey, it's not right that they're stoning and they're plotting against me. I have rights, you know. But they simply moved on as Jesus had instructed them in Mark 6, 11. They moved on. They went to Lystra. No vacations, no hiding out. And it's there in Lystra, again, Paul is not about to lay low. He sees a crippled man, And he knows by the spirit of the Lord that this man has been crippled since his birth. But he also senses that this cripple has the faith 
to be healed. What does that mean, faith? I believe it's that same faith that Cornelius had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be saved. Next week, we'll find that Peter will stand up and say that the Gentiles had their hearts purified by faith. So Peter looking at this cripple saying, you know what? He has got the faith. He believes in Jesus. You see, faith is the gateway to all that God has for us. It opens up realms of possibility. It opens doors that were formerly closed. It makes all things possible. It makes forgiveness, new chances, new lives, transformations. All of this healing becomes possible by simply believing in Jesus, who he is and what he has done. That is faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith like, oh, I believe, 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 I believe. That does nothing. I've tried it. It's not my power to muster up faith. It's not my gullibility. You know, like, I believe. It's, it's none of those things. It is simply the placement of faith in Jesus Christ. Once I believe in Jesus, who he is, and what God has done through Christ, that's when the impossible becomes possible. So Paul looks at this lame man and he says, stand up. And we're told that the man stands up straight. And he begins not just to walk, but to leap. Isn't that amazing? Not just to walk. You know, when people uh, are able to walk again after a long illness or after uh, nerve damage, have you ever noticed how they have to be retrained? They have to start with those bars and they have to take these steps. And they literally have to learn to walk just like a baby. But look at this instantaneous healing. This man immediately knows how to walk. Immediately, his feet work. And not only does he know how to walk, he begins to leap. Just taking these great strides through the air, like, look at this. All of a sudden, my little grandson writer was like, Grandma, he's a real tough guy. He's seven. It's tough. You know, Grandma, look at this. And so he starts galloping across the room. I'm like, wow, yeah, now look at this. And he starts skipping. It's like, wow, Ryder, okay, now watch this. And he hops on one foot. Then he hops on the other foot. I just can do that. You know, and you're like, impressive. But you know, he's been doing that since he was like one. But this man, having never walked before, is suddenly leaping. And the crowd takes notice of it. Again, Paul is not laying low. The crowd's attention is drawn on this act. And the, the people, having never seen a miracle before, having never seen this display of power before, assume that the gods have come down and are walking among men. And they begin to shout it out. They call Barnabas Zeus, because he's quieter than Paul. And they call Paul Hermes, or the messenger God, the one who talks and brings the messages of the gods to men. Now, 
Zeus was a very mercurial god. He was always changing his attitude and his, he was temperamental and he was, he was lecherous. He was always lusting after women. He was very arbitrary. He, he could like you or dislike you. There was no consistency with him. With Hermes, he was the same. He was arbitrary. He was temperamental. He would play tricks on people. It was said that he set the boundaries and the markers, and you had to plead for his mercy whenever you traveled, because if he got mad at you, anything was possible on the road. These were gods that had to be appeased, not not just served. These were gods that couldn't be loved, that couldn't be trusted. And so what you see is the people, the multitude is scared of this power because all they know of power is that it's not safe. It cannot be understood. It cannot be embraced. And so the people begin to shout out and and this whole chaotic scene ensues. And the priest from the temple of Zeus comes running. Can you just see it? With all these garlands and with this oxen. You're like, oh, time for a sacrifice. God appease the gods. God appease the gods. This town is scared. They are in turmoil. Because if they don't appease these gods, what will the next hour bring forth? What will the gods do to them if they don't show thanks, if they don't honor, if they don't do things in the right way? And so the people in Lystra are scared. And and this man comes out. But Paul and Barnabas, looking on the scene, they are grieved. They are grieved to think that men would attribute this glory, this healing, this faith, to pagan deities that don't even exist, vain things. They're grieved to think that these people in Lystra think that Paul and Barnabas have this in themselves. Paul and Barnabas will not take the perks. They're like, no, 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 no. Now, safety would be like, okay, go ahead and worship me. Then I'll tell you about Jesus. Once you think I'm really tough and you know I'm scary and you've got some reverence for me. But no, Paul and Barnabas will not let this city think that they are any more than what they are. In fact, we're told that Paul and Barnabas begin to tear their clothes, run in the midst of the multitude, saying, we are men with like natures, same as you. And we are preaching to you that these things, these sacrifices to Zeus and Hermes, are the very vain things that you need to turn away from and serve the living God who made heaven and earth and all things that are in them. We've got a greater reality that we want to bring you into. They refuse to let the crowd worship them, though it would have set them apart, might have even protected them. And then when Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived, these Jews that followed Paul and Barnabas because they hated the message. They hated the fact that Gentiles were being saved and their lives transformed. They came to Lystra and they were able to persuade the multitude against Paul. A fickle multitude. One moment 
willing to worship them because of the greatness of the miracle, and the next, wanting to kill them, wanting to drive them out. I believe this was fear-based. I believe that fear can be absolutely dangerous. I'm going to tell you something about me. When it comes to bugs, I'm an overkiller. It's not good enough just to smash the spider. I have to make sure that he cannot live again. That he is torn limb from limb and he will not scare any other human being ever, 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 ever. You know, my boys, they also had the overkill instinct. But you know what they used to do? They used to like to kill bugs and leave them there, you know, on the walls. And I said, you boys, you need to clean up afterwards. And I remember Brayden saying to me, mom, that's for the other bugs. I want them to see what happened to their friend and just stay out of here. You know, fear can make us like, you know, we can't just hit the spider and flush him away. No, no, we have to like, you know, squish, death, dismemberment. You know, we want all this. We want to make sure that that thing cannot harm us, cannot bring any harm to us. That there's not a chance in the world that that thing will come back and go, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, we don't know. It's over forever for this one. It's gone. And, And that's what fear does. Fear wants to just destroy, to get something completely gone. Fear's not content to imprison or to put aside or to ignore, fear has to destroy any opponents. And this is what I think we're seeing. This is fear. And it's fear juxtaposed against the holy boldness of Paul and Barnabas. And fear takes up stones and wants to not only stone Paul, not only destroy Paul, but then they drag him out of the city. They don't even want him in the city. They want to get rid of him. But as the scripture tells us, that the disciples surrounded Paul. There they are. They're surrounding Paul outside the city. He, he has been out of their reach, so to speak. They haven't been able to protect him or insulate him. The crowd has gotten to them. They've stoned him. Now they've dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. And now the disciples surround him. And what happens to Paul? He jumps up. Hey, guys, that was kind of cool. You ought to try it. Man, you wouldn't believe the things I saw and heard while I was down there on the ground. Whoa. No, I don't think, uh, I can't tell you. You got to wait till you get to heaven. And uh, yeah, now I kind of got this angel to buffet me because uh, the revelation is so glorious of what happened. You see a man like that, that you stone and you put him down and what happens? He has a revelation of heaven. He sees glory. That man is only emboldened, only emboldened. So this is the worst that fear can do. This is the absolute worst. You stone me, you kill me. And the worst thing that happens is I get heaven. I get absolute glory. Jesus said, do not fear them that can kill the body. And then they've lost all their power. That's it. That's the last stand of men. They can do no more after that. He said, but fear him who has the power to constrain your soul to heaven or hell. But then he says, but you know what? When you're 
fearing God, all of a sudden you're not fearing anyone. That's holy boldness. Because you recognize that God has counted the very hairs on your head. That it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of heaven. To give you all you need while you are on earth. And then to take you into glory. No wonder Paul could say, for me to live, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm in a win-win situation. So when Paul rises up, what does he do? He goes right back into the very city that stoned him. Fear can keep us from seizing the moments that God has set before us. It can cause us to act irrationally. Oftentimes, it's not the enemies themselves we're afraid of, it's the fear of the enemies. But the greatest enemy to fear is holy boldness, a boldness that can come only from Christ, a boldness that caused Paul to proclaim, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Holy Boldness. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 14 with part two of her message, Holy Boldness. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.